It's the Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. It's brought to you by Pike Nurseries, your neighborhood garden center. Playing in the dirt for more than 50 years. Call now with your lawn and garden questions at 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. And now, here's Walter. You know, on a Saturday morning, this is Lawn and Garden. I'm Walter Reeves, the Georgia Gardener, here to help you be more successful in your landscape and bring a little happiness into your life as well by providing answers to questions that you have about what you should be doing and what we should be pruning or planting or anything right now. All you got to do is pick up the phone, 404-872-0750. It's just like talking on the telephone to any other member of the family or friend or just somebody you wanted to pick up and say hi to. You just pick up the phone, dial me, say hi. We talk about gardening. We get the answer so that you know what you're doing in the in the landscape. I just felt so happy this morning. It was about, what, 3, 2, 3 o'clock, I guess, when I woke up. Just briefly, I woke up, was dozing, woke up and heard the rain outside. That is one of the most comforting sounds in the whole wide world, to hear rain on a roof, and you are not out in it, and you're not going to get wet, you're not getting muddy, you're just in the bed all snuggled up hearing the rain on the roof. That was really, really, really great this morning particularly because I planted some things yesterday and they need to be watered. So I got the watering done free, gratis for me by Mother Nature, who came in and put the, put the water on a couple of things I planted yesterday. You know what I also noticed this morning? The Kwanzaa cherries. I have three, one, two, three Kwanzaa cherry trees are blooming in front of my house. And I was thinking about Mr. Myers. Mr. Myers. Mr. Myers is the guy who built my house long, long, long ago. He was a, uh, a construction person. He specialized in pre-stressed concrete. I think he did a lot of work on the Alexander Memorial Coliseum. It used to be here where Georgia Tech, uh, on the Georgia Tech campus. Uh, some of us are of a certain age who remember the parking deck at the Riches downtown and how you had this sort of corkscrew ramp. Yeah, I know there's a lot of you thinking right now, yeah, I remember that ramp that went around getting out of the parking deck of the Riches downtown. He also built that. So Mr. Myers built those things, but he also built my house. That was his house. He lived in it. His daughter Shirley lived in one side of the house, and he lived on the other side. His wife had passed away some years before. And one of Mr. Myers' uh, children had a daughter named Dottie, Dottie Myers. Some of you may know that name. Dottie's a very, very good landscape architect here in Atlanta. And so Dottie would come to Mr. Myers' house, where I live now, and help him and help Shirley in the garden outside. One of the things that they did, and I don't know which year they did this, but they planted those three cherries, one of which is a white-flowered form of Kwanzaa cherry. Now, Kwanzaa cherry usually is pink, very, very pink, pretty little pink, double carnation kind of flowers on it, and um, they're opening up right this minute. But the white form of it is called Mount Fuji, I believe Dottie told me one time, but Mount Fuji has white flowers, and the regular normal Kwanzaa cherry has the pink flowers. And this morning, as I walked out of the door, there were two limbs, both of them approximately the same height, one from the Mount Fuji, one from the regular Kwanzaa, pink and white together, sort of brushing right underneath the roof line of my front porch as I walked out to the carport to get into the car. 
oh, that was gorgeous. It was so pretty. It made me feel so good to see those two flowers, white and pink, right there by me as I walked out. Awesome, awesome, awesome plant. And not only that, but Kwanzaa cherries don't have any smell to the flowers at all, but a plant that does have a lot of smell to it is lilac. And I have a big, big lilac bush in the backyard, a white one. Uh, what is the name of that one? That was Angel White? I believe it was Angel White is the one that's blooming right now. There's another one called Dark Night or Purple Night or some kind of night, I believe, is the other name for it. But both of my lilacs are blooming in the backyard, and I could smell them way up in the front yard. There's a little bit of a waft of smell that came up out of the back landscape, and I could smell it in the front of the house. That was awesome. Probably added a little bit of this viburnum, the Korean spice viburnum. It's a little bit closer, and it has a smell to the flower there. Boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, what a great, great day in the spring. If you have a question about what you should be doing or should have done already or you need some advice on gardening, give me a call. Again, 404-872-0750. Let's go to the phones. We've got Linda in Jackson, Georgia. Linda, join us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, good morning. Good morning, Walter. How can I help? I have little mounds of dirt all over the yard, and they're like little pellets. Yeah but no hole in the center like you talked about ground wasp. Ground bees, yeah. Or bees. Yeah. So what do you think? They are worm-casting places where earthworms bring dirt up out of the ground as they make their tunnels, and they just, I think they just poop them out basically right there on the surface. And uh, you are exactly right. If you don't have a hole in the middle, they're not ground bees. they got to be earthworm casting. So they're just earthworms. Just earthworms, yeah. Oh, me. Well, I'm covered with them. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you fish? It could be a good thing yeah, for you well, to have. Yeah, a little bit. So I just need to dig down in there, and I'll find some earthworms. Well, let me tell you something. Do you know what grunting a worm means? No. I have been through choppy Florida two or three times. One time in particular, I remember, because it had a big sign outside the little community of Sop Choppy, Florida, that said, Worm Grunting Capital of the World. Hmm. And I thought, what the devil is worm grunting? So I looked it up when I got home, and it turns out that they have, I don't know if it's a particular kind of worm that responds to grunting, or if all worms do, I don't know, I'm going to let you figure this out. But what they do is they pound a piece of... Uh, I really pound a piece of wood, a stake, into the ground, a couple of, uh, well, three or four inches maybe. And then they rub an iron rod across the top of the stake as it sticks out of the ground a couple of feet. And it makes the wood vibrate <laughs> as they rub the iron on top of the wooden stake in the ground. And worms evidently just don't like that sound because they said they had worms come up out of the ground by the handfuls. Oh, no. And the people in Sop Choppy then collect the worms, put them in a bag with some peat moss, and sell them to the fisher people around there. It is the worm grunting capital oh. of the universe, as far <laughs> as I know. And I want you, yes, you Linda, you know, I want you to try it. Okay. All you got to do is get a little piece of wood, wood. a stake of wood, uh-huh. a couple of feet long, pound it into the ground six or seven inches so it stands up straight and sturdy, and rub a little piece of iron, and tell me how many worms come to the surface. Okay. I'll do that. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to hear from you. Do okay, it. Okay. Thank right. you. Hey, Linda. Thanks for calling. Okay. Bye-bye.
A lot of people tell me they learn new things on this show. Well, you didn't think you were going to learn something today, but already in the first 15 minutes you've learned about how to grunt a worm. We've got Tony incoming joining us. Say, hey, Tony, good morning. Good morning, sir. How can I help, Tony? Uh, Bermuda lawn, about 14 years old. Yeah. Uh, it's beginning to green up, but I've noticed bare spots. Should I overseed uh, it after this? It's that old? You know, if you got bare spots, do you know why? I mean, I would sort of like to know why the bare spots are there. Why do you think they're there? Um, well, they're not completely bare, but I, you know, I would think the runners will take over soon. But I yeah. just thought there'd be time to oversee. Uh, uh, mm. I've got cuts on the treatments and all. So it's I'd not like quite to... time to oversee. To be honest, we need to have soil temperatures up in the high 50s maybe, and now they're in the low 50s. I would think by uh-huh. the first week of May. You're fine. Oh. The soil is warm enough first week of May to oversee. Then it'd be really, really nice if somebody went out there with a rake and raked up the ground to give it little places for the seeds to lodge. And Right. Uh, you can also, probably you'll find this out, but the Bermuda seed is really tiny, and so it's hard to distribute it evenly. But if you mix the Bermuda seed with um, grits, you can put grits in there. You can do, uh, I guess, corn cob. You don't have any ground corn cobs, right. I guess. But you can mix it, it up with something that's a carrier, and it's easier to spread evenly. Good. One quick question. Is it too late to transplant, uh, like, uh, butterfly bushes, that type of thing? How big? Uh, It's about five feet tall now. I would think if you pay attention to watering in July and August, you'd probably be okay. Yeah. Try to get as many roots as you can, but, you know, it rained last night at my house, so the ground is nice and soggy, and it's pretty easy to dig it up and pull it out of the ground. I would think if you be careful about watering in the middle of the summer, you should be fine. Okay, thank you. Thanks you bet. Again. Hey, man, thanks for calling. 404-872-0750 is my number. Chris is going to be with us in a little bit to talk about pruning his apple tree. Barry is up in Saltina Coochie. He wants to know about transplanting his blueberry bushes. And David, our friend in Tucker, wants to know about hanging, basket one, hanging baskets and whether or not the store-bought ones have something different in them than uh, something else. So we'll find out what David has on his mind as well. 404-872-0750 is the number on Lawn and Garden. Hey, you're listening to Walter Reed's The Lawn and Garden Show on AM 750 WSB. This is Scott Slade, host of Atlanta's Morning News on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. We'll be covering breaking news, Kirk Mellish weather, and traffic red alerts through the weekend. And the Southeast's largest news team is here for you first thing Monday morning when you head back to work. News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Now back to Walter Reeves, the lawn and garden advice you need. And a quick weather update brought to you by Ackerman Security. Pretty nice this afternoon. You wouldn't know it from right now. Sort of cloudy and a little bit of drizzle still coming down. This afternoon, though, the cloudy skies will be partly cloudy only. The highs in the upper 60s, awesome. And overnight, the clear skies remain with lows in the eh, low 40s, maybe. Might be a little chilly out there. Stay tuned. Atlanta's most accurate and dependable forecast. Comes up in 10 minutes on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. And we've had a caller, Chris, who has lost us three times already. And so we're not going to have Chris to dial back again. But Chris basically wanted to know how do you prune an apple tree and if there's still time to do it. And Chris, of course, there is. I recognize that apple trees have flowers on them right now and some leaves uh, poking out as well. But pruning an apple tree is one of those things you can really, really, really improve your your harvest off an apple tree if you prune correctly during the wintertime or very early spring. The biggest thing is to do it in priority order, I guess is the way I would describe this. First thing that comes out of an apple tree, dead limbs. You knew that already, but let's just make sure all the dead limbs come out because they'll fool you 
if you are looking at a tree with a lot of dead limbs as to what needs to be taken out next after the dead limbs go. So dead limbs first. And the second thing is we don't want any branches that cross through the middle because branches that cross through the middle are typically shaded by the upper branches. They don't, with, the, with all that shade, they don't have any flowers, with no flowers, no fruit. Who needs the crossing branches? So you cut out all the, all the crossing branches right where they originate from one of the horizontal limbs and that crossing one comes out, cut it off. And the third thing that comes out are what a lot of us call water sprouts. And water sprouts are these little bitty whips, pencil thin, a couple of feet high. And they also come off the horizontal branches and they also get shaded out and they also need to come away. So boom, boom, we cut them off. So dead limbs first, crossing branches next, water sprouts third. And the fourth thing is just to sort of even the tree up. Try to have a little sunshine inside. Try not to have two limbs, one right above the other on the trunk, because, again, shade is going to be a problem for the lower limb. And so if you prune your apple tree in that priority order, you'll have more apples. And that's, after all, why we want an apple tree. If you don't have apples, always think about pollination. Pollination is really, really important for apples. We usually get enough in neighborhoods where two or three or four people have apples or crab apples or something that provides pollen for the one you have. But if you have a lot of flowers on your apple and just doesn't turn into many fruit, you get hundreds and hundreds of flowers on the tree, but you only get eight apples off of it in the in the fall, that generally means you got a problem with providing pollen. Either you don't have enough bees or you just don't have an apple around to provide the pollen itself to the to the ones you have. In that case, the first thing I would think about is planting plants that are bee friendly. Attract all the pollinators in the neighborhood, not only honeybees, but also the wild bees, the ground bees, the mason bees, the little solitary bees that do a lot of pollination. And I have on my website a uh, list of bee friendly plants. In other words, bee attracting plants, pollinator attracting plants. You go to WalterReeves.com and type bee plant. That's all you need, bee plant. And I just put it in, I think, last week. So it should be pretty close to the top of the queue. And you can see what plants can be planted to bring the pollinators in, to bring the pollen to the apple and the other plants that need pollination and make a really, really nice edible garden in the yard. Right now it's 627 at News Talk WSB. We'll be back to more Lawn and Garden right after news. The Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. It's brought to you by Pike Nurseries, your neighborhood garden center. Playing in the dirt for more than 50 years. Call now with your lawn and garden questions at 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. And now, here's Walter. It's 6.36 on a Saturday morning, 52.6 degrees outside. This is Lawn and Garden. I'm Walter Reeves, the Georgia Gardener, here to help you be better and more successful and happier in your own garden simply with the cost of a phone call, 404-872-0750. David's out in Tucker, and he joins us online. Hey, David. Good morning. Good morning. Happy hey. Easter. Happy Easter to yourself. Happy Pesach to all my Jewish friends who are celebrating Passover this weekend. What's going on, David? Uh, well... Uh, I bought commercial hanging baskets in the past. It always seemed to be a race as to whether they were going to become completely desiccated uh, <laughs> before I could get water to them. And if I slipped up a bit, all of a sudden I had dead ski land. But mm. even if I watered them every day substantially, mm-hmm. 
Uh, it was basically bringing me back from the dead every day. Ooh. Um, and I wondered if uh, the commercial one short things a little bit. If you buy one, do you need to augment somehow and mm. put one together yourself? Is there something that you can do that the commercial places don't do? I'll tell you the thing that I notice about commercially made um, hanging baskets is that sometimes they're a little crowded because obviously the commercial people want you to see something is a lot of bang for the buck right that minute. It's got flowers, it's got leaves, it's got things hanging off the side, and everything's working at the same time. But as you say, sometimes they may look a little crowded, they may dry out a little faster because there's so many plants in the hanging basket. Not to say that you can't get very good hanging baskets from Pike and from other garden centers around, but I think, yeah, you probably generally can do a better job if you take your time and do it yourself. Okay. But I have another hint for you to keep them from drying out. This is sort of a pain in the rear, basically, but it's better than the alternative. When you water them, don't water it with a watering can from the top. I see my hanging baskets sometimes will they make little channels of water that go from the top, around the side, and out the bottom. And the root ball, the soil ball, in the hanging basket never gets watered at all. The water just sort of circulates around and exits without wetting the soil particularly. And so I have a plastic mm, uh, pan that's about two, inches uh, two feet wide by two feet the other direction. And so I fill it about halfway full of water and dip my hanging baskets in it. I can just leave them there for an hour till the soil is very well soaked and then lift them up out. This is on my front porch, so it just drip, drip, drips from the uh, hanger that I have on the front porch. But soaking them from the bottom gets the whole soil mass um, um, wet, whereas watering from the top, sometimes the soil just never gets wet. So that's one thing that helps a little bit for me. Oh, wow. I never thought about that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, whoa, so, whoa. Because you're my friend, David, I thought of something else you could do. <laughs> I got all sorts of hits today. Um, if you water them with ice cubes, that would negate the problem of the water coming around the sides and coming out the bottom. Because ice cubes obviously drip, 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 drip very slowly, so the water goes into the soil and doesn't take a detour. So depending on the size of the basket, five to maybe ten ice cubes, if it's you know, not too crowded and doesn't make the roots too cold, that's another way to water without doing the pan and the soaking like I did. Uh, another thing I never would have thought of, I, although I suspect my neighbors may think I'm a little nuts if they see me doing the ice cube thing. Yeah, who cares? Uh, <laughs> and Tucker, come on. Me. Tucker's got its share of nuts already, and you're not adding anything to the mix out there. All right. Thank you, Walter. Fully, fully done, and no charge at all for that information, David. Thanks so much for calling. At 639, we've got Annette up in Canton, Georgia. Hey, Annette. Good morning. Good morning, Walter. What can I do for you? I maintain the entrance of my subdivision. I've been doing this for 25 years. Yeah. As I'm getting older, it's getting harder. Hey, we wait, wanna... wait, 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 wait. I've been doing mine for 24. So 24, <laughs> I got you beat. I got, you got me beat. beat by a year. What's going this on? This month is 25, and I don't get any help from anybody else. Yeah. And it's getting harder and harder. We have euonymus that are huge, and they maintain, you know, there's so much to maintaining the look of them and keeping them pruned. And I'd like to rip everything out or have someone do it and put in something that's maybe maybe two to three foot tall maximum and very little maintenance, some kind of shrub that would look pretty and then just keep a few little annuals like right in the front. Do you have any advice on the shrubbery part? What about a purple diamond laura petalum? They don't get very tall. Purple diamond laura petal 
loropetalum, let me pronounce it correctly. So there's one, that's loropetalum, um, okay. and purple diamond, again, is the one that's a small one. Don't get some of those big zuzhou fuchsia that looks like a tree when it, when it blooms. Um, let's say you got Indian hawthorn, Indian hawthorn, some of the uh, ones that are not susceptible to leaf spot, and that's really, you have to think about this. Go to my website, type in Indian hawthorn, and look at the okay. list of Indian hawthorns that do not get leaf spot. Some do, some don't. I can't remember the variety names right now, but okay. you don't want to hit... Uh, the Indian hawthorn out there with those little purple spots all over the leaves. Um, is it? I'm assuming it's sunny, right, Annette? It's full sun. Yeah, yeah. Very okay. hot, very okay. hot. Okay, so we're not going to put anything shade-loving in there. Uh, that gets you pretty close. And the other thing you can do is on my website, if you just type in the word plant lists, there's a whole bunch of plant lists for you know, trees that can stand being in wet uh, soil, uh, flowers that bloom in the shade, uh, you know, just all these lists of things that would do. And beside the two that I've given you, I'm sure there are about 10 more that you could find. And there's okay. a chameleon, there's a chameleon that I have in the backyard that's no more than three feet tall called uh, Jean. And if you had the Jean variety, camellia, uh, that one doesn't get very high and bloom too. So you got several options okay. there. Well, I'd prefer something that's evergreen so that it's pretty all year long. Yeah, sure. And all these are evergreen, hawthorn, loropetalum, clematis, or not clematis, but camellia, they're all evergreen. Okay, sure. okay. All that right. sounds great. Thanks a lot. Happy yeah. Easter, Walter. Thank you, ma'am. Same Thanks. to you. Bye. Bye. Four- Whoops, 404-872-0750, the number on Lawn and Garden. Let's go talk to Sherry. Sherry's out in Lawrenceville, has a problem with certain kinds of insects. Hey, Sherry, good morning. Hey, good morning, sweetie. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. How can I help, Sherry? Good. Well, I know you'll be able to answer my question. So I'm very allergic to bees. Uh Uh-huh. And um, I have a lot of the wasps that uh, dig their uh, uh, nests in the ground. Yeah, sure. And as well as a lot of carpenter bees. And so I do have a garden, and last year just decided I'm not going to end up in the hospital again with the bees, so I got very aggressive, got the wasp spray and did all the nests early in the morning and, yeah. and just started, you know, uh, spraying the carpenter bees. Sure, okay. And so my garden looked like it, you know, wasn't going to survive, and I, I know that I think it's because I killed the bees. And mm. so just asking you that question, what do I do? Well, <laughs> First, you know, I have to make this comment that the bees you've already described, the carpenter bees and the ground bees, are just not aggressive. They don't chase anybody. The the ground bees that you see, sometimes you see a little two or three or four or ten of them sort of hovering about a foot off the ground. Those are all males. And uh, despite okay. what we men would like to think, male bees have no stinger. They have nothing that they can sting you with. The females are out somewhere getting pollen and putting it in the hole in the ground. And they are almost non-aggressive as well. If you grabbed one and just mashed it with your hand real good, she might sting you. But it feels more like a mosquito bite than anything else. The ground bees... I don't worry about it. I walk through them all the time. Carpenter bees, much the same. The ones that are flying around, zooming up to you and looking you in the eye and zooming away. They're all male bees. No stinger. Still, same thing. Um, But having affected your landscape by killing the bees, I don't know if if that follows. Because plants are going to flower whether there are bees present or not. If there are bees present and the plant needs some pollination, then the bees going from flower to flower yield uh, seeds. But... I don't think that spraying for the bees did anything to hurt your landscape particularly. Okay. All right. And then the second question, and thank you so much for your time. Um, so I've got these roly polies, the little gray. <laughs> yeah. Stop. And they're 
all over my property. They're in my garden. They even come into my house. What do I do about that? Any garden insecticide, organic or synthetic, would kill them. And the thing that I have found about those little sow bugs or pill bugs or roly-polies or whatever you want to call them, they can be aggressive and they can harm your plants. I never thought of them as being harmful. Come on, no, sow bugs, nothing to it. But the, I've planted pansies in a little bed that was right close to a nice little wood pile, and I could see see the roly-polies who'd come out, climb up the stems of my pansies, and eat the leaves on my pansies. Now, that's not something I want. So they got a little dose of insecticide, and that was the end of that. So wherever okay. you see them, just use an insecticide, a spray bottle, whatever you got. Okay, so that's fantastic. They will also eat wood, too. So yeah. So they, uh, they really, they're very destructive, actually. I'm not so. sure that they eat the wood, but it's prob probable that they clean out rotted wood, sort of like uh, termites and, or, or, or carpenter ants do. They don't actually eat the wood. They just clear out where the wood has, wood has rotted already. There you go. There you go. Well, thank you so much. You're so helpful. I knew you'd have the answer. Oh, it's a pleasure talking to you, Sherry. Thanks for calling. All right, have a great weekend. We got Barry on the line. Barry, he's up in Salty Nakuchi. Hey, Barry, good morning. Hey, good morning, Walter. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I've got about six blueberry bushes that we planted close to the woods, and uh, wild blackberries are taking over that property. And I've got a garden up the hill with some apple and peach trees, and I was wanting to move the blueberry bushes up to that garden. And I wanted to know when would be a good time to do that. How tall are they? They're about uh, three, four feet. You can move them now. If they were six move feet, that's, they're not going to be happy moving them around that big. But three feet tall, I would think, you shouldn't have much of a problem. The same thing I told the guy that wanted to transplant something earlier this morning. is The, the soil at my house is soggy because of all the rain last night. Yeah. And soggy soil is great to transplant things because they're full. the roots are full of water. The plant's not very stressed. It's usually cloudy. And so you just try to dig as much of the roots as you can and bring it to a new place that's a, you know, in the, in the orchard where you want it. be good. Yeah. And, oh, one more thing. I did a TV piece this past week with um, Georgia Farm Bureau for their Farm Monitor TV show. And one of the things we talked about was planting blueberries. And I pointed out, and I'll emphasize to you, blueberries really, really like acidic soil with a lot of organic matter in it. And the best way to accomplish that is with peat moss. I rarely yeah. recommend peat moss for anything else, but peat I, moss I and blueberries are awesome. I put peat moss and tilled it in and, Good. and put it down every year and kind of dig it in the soil around it. But You're the man. That's exactly what it needs. All right. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Great talking to you, Barry. Thanks for Have calling. Have a good day. Bye-bye. I had a great time. I was up at uh, Gibbs Gardens near Ballground, Georgia, doing the TV pieces for the Georgia Farm Bureau. And man, oh man, Gibbs Gardens, what a place. Woo! The daffodils, the first and second bloom series of daffodils have gone away. The fragrant ones are up on the hill and they're blooming. You see these huge swaths of color from the daffodils, but then you see other swaths of just green now when daylilies open up. Man, there's going to be some daylilies at Gibbs Gardens. Man, oh man, appreciate them letting us, let us film up there. Coming up in the next uh, half hour, Chip and Lilburn wants to know how to control weeds in his veggie garden. Matt's in Rock Mart. We'll talk to him a little bit about his garden as well. But right now it's 647, and you're listening to Lawn and Garden. This is Scott Slade from Atlanta's Morning News on WSB. Our 24-hour news center delivers updates four times an hour all weekend. Depend on it. We'll be here Monday morning, 4.30 till 9, for breaking news and traffic and weather every six minutes. News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Now back to the Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves. 
And a quick weather update brought to you by Ackerman Security. It's pretty cloudy and sort of gloomy right now, but it's going to be pretty sunny this afternoon. Really nice. Highs in the uh, upper mid to upper 60s. It's going to be pretty awesome. Overnight, clear skies remain. Lows in the low 40s, let's call it. Stay tuned. Atlanta's most accurate and dependable forecast comes up in 10 minutes on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. And tomorrow morning, you get to pick up that brand spanking new issue of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. They're going to have a special report on the impact of educators' betrayal of school children in the APS cheating scandal. We'll see actually what the cheating does to the kids who are in those schools. Chip is in Lilburn, Georgia, and Chip joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, Chip, good morning. Hey there, how you doing? Doing all right, what's up? Well, I uh, have a vegetable garden, but really it's, it's more about um, an edible landscape. So I've got some edibles pretty much throughout the yard. Yeah. Good. And uh, also some area around the vegetable garden. And there's places, of course, right next to the veggies, I would just use my hands and pull up all the weeds and things. Sure. But there are places where I really want to spray something to be able to kill the weeds. But I need to know what is safest, how close can I get to other plants, and you know what would be the potential problems if I'm using a spray, et cetera. Roundup or glyphosate, the chemical that's in Roundup and in several other kinds of products, is I believe labeled for use in vegetable gardens. Does I, not. I, yeah, I looked and I didn't really see that it was. I might need to look again, but All that's right. what scared me. That's what I thought to use, but it just worried me that there was some problem with using it close to edible. There are there are other organic herbicides you could use as well. There's uh, herbicidal soap, which is uh, very effective on weeds. It really just makes them turn brown and die down after a couple of couple of hours. But what I've done, I'll tell you what I did for mine, is I have a liter soft drink bottle that I cut the bottom out of and tape the neck of it to the, to the uh, sprayer that comes out of my pump-up garden sprayer so mm-hmm. that when I'm spraying, the only spray that comes out is that little two-inch diameter circle at the bottom of the uh, liter bottle that I take to my sprayer. And so I just take it and go around the garden when I have a plant, a flower, or something that's got a weed right next to it. And I don't want to take the risk of getting any chemical on the flower. And I just sort of put the bottom of that liter bottle over the over the weed, just pull the trigger just for a second, and it uh, puts the herbicide right there on the weed and get onto the flower because it's not drifting anywhere. It just goes right on the bad plant that I have. So that's one way of doing it. So uh, the, any chemical you put down, whether it's synthetic or organic, does not hurt your vegetables or your flowers. So the is there any, like, um, what I'm worried about is, you know, either residual activity or, or some kind of, you know, toxicity, uh, close in the soil or the roots or or something so that if I pick a flower for edible use later on, even though the, the plant looks fine, you know, is it is it safe? To my knowledge, there is no problem. To my knowledge, again, you can use herbicidal soap, which is considered an yeah. organic uh, way of controlling weeds. You can go back to digging. You know that. you always got that possibility of digging them out of the ground and pulling them up by hand if you want to. One more thing to think about. Go on my website and type the word water weeder on my cool tools and funky fertilizers page. There's a water weeder there, which you can put right beside a flower. It sort of liquefies the soil with water around weeds that are next to your good plants, and you just pull them right out of the ground. And you may find the water weeder looks like it might be useful for you as well, Chip. Thanks for calling, man. It's 6.58. You're listening to Lawn and Garden. We'll be back after news. Honey, you know it makes you mad. Why? 
Is everybody telling everybody what you have done? 